Warning, this show contains adult themes and language, including practicing witchcraft for candy. Disevidentia is an inability to reliably process evidence, and this is a podcast all about it. This episode was released on November 8th, 2021, and we are discussing Disevidentia because it is clear millions of satanic panickers are suffering from it. And I am Squeaky. We discuss logic and evidence because we both went as science podcasters for Halloween. You can support us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash disevidentia. If you spent all your money replacing your deck after the turkey fryer accident, you can still like, subscribe, and leave a review to help us out. If you have a paper you've written or a small business to plug, let us know. Today, we are going to discuss COVID for just a minute, some Halloween myths, and some Thanksgiving misconceptions. But first, Squeaky is going on a rant. Disevidentia is an inability to reliably... Why am I fucking up on that word? You've only practiced it every episode. Only every episode, yeah. Reliable, reliable. Being wrong is difficult. You need to start by getting some fact or perspective wrong. And it can be just a perspective. I guess that's easy. The hard part is acknowledging it and fixing it. I was wrong twice in significant ways since our last episode. One was in private and personal, and the other was public and out loud. The first time, I thought I was seeing every possibility in a conversation, and there was no way I could interpret what someone was saying and have them be honest. I was certain they were digging for excuses. I had Mako look at the conversation, there was a chat log, and he pointed out that a comment I made at the very beginning could have been interpreted several ways. But since it was my comment, I only interpreted it the way I meant it. With that extra bit of context and understanding that they were just trying to be polite to an alternate version of what I had said... It is clear that I had misinterpreted their potential dishonesty. It's hard to get more specific without outing this person. So let's move on to people in the public eye. The public error was on the Disevidentia Twitter. Kyle Rittenhouse is on trial, and as a matter of settled case law, and the course presumption of innocence until proven guilty, using the word victim to describe victims is considered prejudicial. Now, there's some legal terminology in there, and those words can seem loaded, given the current state of politics. See the opening arguments episode 538 for a full explanation, but I had said that the judge saying that we shouldn't use the word victim is reason to be suspicious. That's as far as I actually pushed it. I did get defensive when several very racist, very asshole people started arguing. They were very much making the claim that Kyle Rittenhouse should kill people and all but said that they should kill them because they were black, and I took that uh, as a point to just argue that everything they were saying was wrong. Now, if they had just come and said, hey, we shouldn't call the victims victims because it makes the presumption that Kyle Rittenhouse is guilty, that would have been a good argument, and I would have owned up to that immediately. I even put out a correction tweet the day that I listened to the Opening Arguments podcast, and they made pretty much that argument. They even covered how much of the reporting was headline and clickbait driven. Even if the articles themselves were largely correct, they were inflammatory in a way that wasn't useful. Whenever you're given a chance to be wrong in the future, try to take the opportunity to look at the perspective that others might be using to look at the facts. Maybe something that you thought wasn't important is, or maybe you're just having a different discussion. And we've all been there, we've all done that. But it's just hard to get into that headspace when so often, particularly on this podcast, we discuss things that are entirely preposterous. It isn't hard to discuss with a flat earther and know that they're categorically wrong. But it can be hard to look at other data and know that you are categorically right. 
You want to do the the ways of contacting? Sure. And then I'll edit it so we sound intelligent. <laughs> Ooh. I always come out sounding intelligent. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, okay. Prior to you saying that, I didn't know if to compliment your miraculous skill level on accomplishing such a feat, or just to acknowledge the slap across the face by not mentioning me at all. Okay, so I think I want to start this episode off by apologizing. I caught something in the past couple days, so I'm going to try not to sniffle into the microphone or cough or lose my voice before we were done recording, but... How dare you? With such abundant access to healthcare in this country, how could you get sick? (laughs) Uh, I don't know. It could be a horde of little kids coming over, and I think only one of them was wearing a mask that covered their mouth. They all had masks that, you know, concealed their identities, so I don't know which one made me sick. Mm, The perfect crime. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I don't think that's so much of a big deal. We do have a new patron, and I think that's kind of a big deal. Yes. So thank you, Stephen Larrabee, for joining us at the evidence-only level, our highest level on Patreon. Yay. I don't (laughs) (laughs) It is exciting to get more and more supporters, of course. It is really nice. And we understand how hard this whole pandemic time period has been, not just in terms of being sick, but there are a ton of people out of the job and Tons of people being underpaid. So if you can't support us financially, don't. But if you can, if you value what we're doing, trying to correct misconceptions and myth myth information, <laughs> what I'm saying here, mm-hmm. you can totally support us. Just head over to patreon.com slash disevidentia and join us at any level you feel comfortable supporting us at. So we have a presence on a few different platforms. There are a number of different ways you can contact us. If you have some need to contact us, like ideas for things that we could cover on the podcast or just giving us feedback in general. Corrections too. Or corrections. Yeah, absolutely. So we have, as we mentioned in every episode, we do have a Patreon that you can contact us through. That's at patreon.com slash disevidentia. We do have a Reddit subreddit at r slash disevidentia. We do have a Twitter account at disevidentia and a generic email contact at disevidentia.com. But one thing we don't have, a major platform we have no presence on, is Facebook. Because fuck Facebook, fuck Mark Zuckerberg, fuck Meta. Uh, you didn't leave me anything to say there. That's You got the whole message. If you do want to review our show notes or, or our sources, you can head up to disevidentia.com and find the episode you're interested in. We list them all. And we also have a presence on YouTube. Oh. We do. I keep forgetting. It's, we doesn't oh, have a yeah. nice clean channel name because you need a thousand subscribers to get that. And Lame. we're not quite there yet. Yeah, we do upload a copy of each episode to YouTube as of late. Actually, we started from the beginning. Really? From the beginning? Episode one. Oh. Yeah, Keldar started editing the episodes from episode two after he saw the disaster I made in episode one. That's fair. So, Squeaky, after dealing with all those rogue artificial intelligences... Artificial stupidities. Right. Stupidity. I should be all too familiar with that by now. Yep. So, after dealing with them, we certainly won't need any new computer this episode. Actually, I do. What the shit are you on about now? Do you remember that loud banging noise last night? Pumpkin 458. Okay. Pumpkin 459. You said you were smashing pumpkins for science. I wanted to see if I could start a fire with the candles. How does this relate to your... Well, you see, I could get any customization I wanted. So I got an orange computer and... And you threw your computer off the balcony because you thought it was a pumpkin? Close. I was done with the pumpkins, and I thought I was doing a really sweet suplex on ex-president Trump. Pumpkin, 460. 
Holy shit, why am I typing on President Trump? You know you don't really need to buy a new computer. ABK Customs has real experts you can contact for tech support. But if someone was better than me at suplexes, and they did need to buy a new one, they should use code EVIDENCE for 10% off. Go to abkcustoms.com to buy a custom new computer or contact them for support on your computer you inadvertently suplexed. News in COVID. There isn't a whole lot of it right now. Which is good. This is kind of a horrible disease and I'd love to get rid of this segment. Yeah, of course. So one piece that's only relevant to us, I did go out and get my booster because I've been relied on for like showing up to family emergencies and stuff. So I wanted to make sure I was vaccinated if I had to go like help my grandmother or something. Yep, I have yet to do that, but it is on my plans to do in the near future. Seems to me that you're in low risk categories. Yes. I don't, I don't think basement dweller is one of the CDC's risk categories. They're clearly biased. Mm, all those... All those spiders and silverfish trying to spread the Rona. <laughs> no? If you want to get all anime on me, you could call me a neat. That is definitely not a high-risk category. So following the advice we gave out last week, I did wind up mixing. I got the J&J shot originally, and I got a Moderna booster. So mm. in theory, I should be invincible. And then, of course, I catch a common cold. If I get the choice, I'll probably go with Pfizer. You got J&J also, didn't you? Yeah. Okay. So other things in real news. Generally, COVID is on the decline. So across the country, we're down a little bit in terms of the actual amount of cases, but we still have thousands of people dying every couple of days. So it's still not good. Yeah, but it's not obviously getting worse. Okay, so that's that's the good news. The bad news about that is, is that the last year, there was a huge spike in COVID cases around Thanksgiving and Christmas. So we're entering that time where we are probably, we probably should expect another spike. So it's November 1st as we're recording. Mm-hmm. I noticed we had fewer trick-or-treaters this year than we did last year. Yeah. I'm hoping that is indicative of people taking this seriously. That is a nice hope, but it just but We have to wait and see. Yeah. The COVID decline news, there's a map that has each state. You know, we can probably get a map for the different countries of Europe so we can get uh, the other 20% of our listeners. But uh, we'll make sure to link uh, the NBC News map and we'll see if we can't find maps for other parts of the world that show how on the decline it is in different areas. Mm-hmm. All right. The only other piece of news was the FDA authorizing... Uh, the Pfizer vaccine for kids, AIDS, AIDS, kids, AIDS. Okay. Uh, let's try that again. Yes, please. The FDA authorizes the Pfizer vaccine for kids ages five to eleven. That's good. Yeah, this is another emergency youth au- emergency youth euthanasia <laughs> emergency use authorization. Use. This is another emergency use authorization. What did I say? Youth again. I think the cold went straight to my brain. Maybe I do have COVID. Maybe. 3,100 kids have gotten the vaccine. No serious side effects in all of these kids. The efficacy numbers on the current variants were incredibly high in the 90% range. We'll go and link to the FDA's page on this because they describe it and go into quite some detail. Oh, and for people who might be worried, the there are risks to getting the vaccine, but they are much lower than the risks of catching covid yeah it is still true now as that has pretty much always been but it needs to be said while researching this i found videos of concerned parents saying nonsense like i want to protect my kids so i'm not going to get them the vaccine there are risks yeah that's ridiculous even even in kids where the death rate is like one in a thousand that's still a thousand times more dangerous than the vaccine and i mean one in a thousand for catching covid and dying Versus we think it's going to be on the order of one in a million people has any kind of serious side effect from the vaccine. Yeah. I don't know. Do you have anything else on this one? No, it's pretty straightforward. It's good news for getting more people vaccinated. Let's jump on to something fun. Let's talk about Halloween. Oh, we didn't finish the next one. We discussed logic and evidence. Because with all the post-Halloween... Oh, wow. We just left that open. 
Sounds like you had an idea. Well, I don't know. <laughs> so there's a, a lot of different ways that we could discuss Halloween. There's mm-hmm. tons of different views, and I guess we'll just touch on a few different ones. Specifically myths and misconceptions that are surrounding Halloween as a holiday. Or as a practice, I should say, more than just a holiday. Yeah, because holiday implies something holy, like it stems from something religious. Or even for very secular people, it's something chosen by a by a nation and it's not a national holiday like you, the banks don't take it off no well a lot of people consider it a holiday but yeah enough people don't that you know practice is generic enough yeah so i grabbed a couple sources just to get some perspective on people freaking out mm-hmm. should i go over those first sure okay so i got these sources are awesome jw.org the official jehovah's witness website I'm trying to say it with a straight face. The look? And CBN.com. I think they're trying to make it look like NBC. I think they're trying to say Christian Broadcasting Network or something. But their tagline is The Christian Perspective. That's pretty awful. These are both so ridiculous. Both of them make claims that Halloween is purely based in a Celtic or Gaelic holiday called Samhain. When I looked around, historians seem to disagree. There's no one source for Halloween. It seems that everybody likes partying in the fall when it's sure that the you know, harvest is going to be, is known to be good. Mm-hmm. References to Sam Hain is something that came up a few times when I was doing my own research as well. Yeah. And if there are ties between Sam Hain and Halloween, it's just another one of those holidays that Christians kind of absorbed from various pagan practices. Both of these sources are kind of hilariously bad. Yeah. The JW source picks four different like myths or views, and they try to rebut them with citations from the Book of Mormon yeah, and I, the Bible. I see at the top of your source, uh, you say Jehovah's Witnesses officially hate Halloween for stupid reasons. And when I read that, the first thing I thought is, doesn't that describe everything from Jehovah's Witnesses? Wow, that's that's some... I, I can't say anything polite about that, because you're both right. And if I say that you're right, I'm being a jerk to them. Ah, damn it. Too late. Yeah, but little... Th- <sighs> So just one of them. They claim that by dressing up as a vampire or a werewolf, you're supporting wicked spiritual forces and that those need to be opposed at all costs. And they cite a random Bible quote that does say you're supposed to oppose wicked forces, but they fail to make the connection between wearing a costume and being evil. Yeah. How does it support wicked forces? If they could do the logic thing, they probably wouldn't be Jehovah's Witnesses. Especially since, like, I'm sure a number of these people also engage in, you know, fictitious uh, representations of these the same forces that the, under other circumstances they would describe as wicked. And Has no Jehovah's Witness church group ever put on a play with a villain? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that there are actors who are Jehovah's Witnesses. There's like 15 million of them. I mean, they, they, they're around and not all of them are overtly dumb. This is just the official source that's being this this ridiculous. They yeah. also say stuff like uh, that trick-or-treating is a religious practice. And it's like, I don't even know how to approach that one to debunk it because it's just pure nonsense. My religion requires me to consume candy. That's a good religious practice. Mm-hmm. And the other one was just so ridiculous. Like, I don't have a good way to rebut it because debunking it or rebutting it elevates it to a level of credibility. They start off with this nonsense where they get a former Satanist. I don't, right. Yeah, I've read plenty of interviews and watched plenty of videos from former atheists who were clearly like pastors their whole adult life and Christian their whole lives. The dude even claims to have like sacrificed animals. No real description of what that was or why the police didn't get involved for animal cruelty. Uh, but one thing that this article didn't have was evidence. They did generate one set of numbers. They had a Facebook poll where 87% of... The- <laughs> of the people who followed them on Facebook 
said that they don't think Halloween should be practiced by Christians, and 13% of their own followers disagreed and said that they approved of Halloween. So even amongst their extremists, there's still you know, 10 or 15% of them that are okay with Halloween because... How do you even oppose passing out candy? The like, children. Think of the children. Anyway, yeah. if, if you want to just read something completely cringeworthy from the outside, or if you're somebody who's on the cusp with religious belief, start with this. And understand there are people who nominally believe the same thing as you or your religious friends who also believe this. These people are full-on, like, satanic panic brought to the modern era. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So I didn't find any real specific freakouts that haven't been really well covered in other media outlets. I'm sure you found something. So I did focus on a couple of very specific myths that are around Halloween. And so one of them is this notion that black cats are in danger around Halloween because witches or random nutters may go seek them out, particularly from animal shelters, and sacrifice them in witchcraft rituals or whatever. You're serious? Yeah, there's a belief among people that this is something that actually happens. Exactly which people, I'm not entirely sure. It is... Not something that has really ever been substantiated uh, when but my primary source for all of this is Snopes. Uh, Snopes says that they attempted to look into this by contacting animal protection groups and law enforcement agencies for actual statistics on this. And none of these groups could actually produce statistics on it. But if Snopes started investigating a thing, it means that there is a market for this knowledge. Somebody wants to know. Yeah. One thing that is true, well, <laughs> that vaguely relates to this, is that animal shelters will provide enhanced protections for particularly black cats, but any animal that has an unusual uptick around Halloween, because they have, they fear, and in some cases, they've actually experienced cases where people will take these animals home and they'll just use them as living decorations. And as soon as the holiday is over, they return them. Well, that's kind of a dick move, but that's hardly animal sacrifice. Yeah, the animals are returned fine. It's just, they're, they're wasting everybody's time for some dumb party gimmick. That really sucks. Yeah, so shelters will provide more protection for these animals for that reason, not because they fear that they're actually going to be sacrificed, because that's, near as we can tell, not a thing. Is that similar to the whole people buying bunnies around Easter thing? Quite possibly. Okay. I'll see if I can find a source for that and stick it in the show notes, because I think I've heard of people buying bunnies around Easter, realizing they're real animals that take real care, and then bringing them back. Oh, okay. So that specifically is a little bit different. <laughs> like, not realizing the kinds of responsibilities that go into animals is a whole other category of things. And, and I'm sure some people do think that, oh, because it's topical, they'll get a, a black cat around Halloween, and then decide that it is too much and return it and okay for those people it would be nice if they did some research up front and didn't waste people's time but at least there was no premeditation there in fact i would say the lack of premeditation was the problem in that specific case <laughs> but what i'm talking about is somebody knew they were going to return the cat before they got the cat yeah that's well i hadn't really considered living decorations as a thing yeah. But there's a there's a more prevalent myth around Halloween, isn't there? Something tastier? <laughs> there's a few. So there's this notion that there's deranged strangers out there that are going to poison your candy or stick razors into things and distribute them to random kids. 
And that, for the most part, just doesn't really happen. When looking around, and there was one person in particular that did attempt to do a study on this, Professor Joel Best. Uh, his academic paper on this, unfortunately, is behind paywalls, near as I could tell, so I wasn't really able to do a deep dive in the original source. But he investigated a bunch of claims about people that had actually behaved maliciously in tainting the candy that is handed out during Halloween. And he actually did find a number of cases, like a ballparking here, because the, the places, or rather ballparking here, because the articles that talked about it, they didn't really give hard numbers. They were just referencing the paper and they kept it a little nebulous. But I'd say maybe about 100 different cases. Most of these cases... 100 different cases over what time period and what geographic area? Uh, I believe the geographic area was the United States and the time period was since the 1950s. Oh, so in the past... 70 years. Sorry, yeah, that's apparently I can't do math. The cold really has gone to my brain. So 100 cases in the past 70 years is averaging like 1.3 cases a year. So the problem with this is that a lot of these initial cases, the initial reports, when they were followed up with investigation, they kind of just didn't really go anywhere. They, they couldn't really establish anything meaningful, and the case was just dropped. Uh, and I have one such example. Uh, let me see exactly how recent this is. Is this the Connecticut one? Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. No, this is Arizona. When was this published? 2018. That was February 2018. Okay, so there is this case. Uh, I'm not entirely sure when exactly it happened, but I'm going to I'm going to presume it was Halloween 2017 because of the publication date of the article that I'm reading. But there were some. There was an occurrence where a family put out a communal bowl where people could put candy into it, and then the can the family could take candy out of it. This extended beyond just the family, but also the family friends, and apparently they are a very social family. So the amount of people that could put candy in, or might have taken candy out, was, based on the language of the article, quite a few, like more than 10 people. And somehow, a THC-infused gummy pack found its way into the bowl, and those packs were taken by kids aged uh, 10 to 11, five of them, and they went to school, they consumed these gummies, they got stomach aches and lightheaded, but beyond that, they were fine. I mean, did they have a good day at school? That is not made clear from the article, but I'd like to presume so, yes. I'm just thinking back to when I went to school, and edibles probably would have made a big difference. I probably would have liked school a lot more. Well, they did say they had stomach aches, so there's that. I mean, I had stomach aches just being in school, but okay. Damn. <laughs> you and I had different schooling experiences. But yeah, in that case, the police investigated, they determined that there's no real way for them to figure out who exactly is the culprit because there's just, and even if they did, they're pretty sure it was an accident and nobody really meant to have 10 and 11 year olds take marijuana gummies to school. And the real victim is the person who missed out on their gummies. Right. They're trying to get high and they're sitting over here, ch you know, chowing down on some Haribo gummies. And like, these are way tastier than usual, but there's no buzz. Yeah. And this bowl was not something intended to be distributed to trick-or-treaters at all. This was just a communal family thing. So 
things like that happen where there's just there's not enough there to really even think that malice played a part and so the investigation doesn't go anywhere they just like hey don't do this again they move on but it is really easy to see how that could turn into a larger scale myth where it's like oh watch out for those crazy stoners they're gonna give weed to all your kids look at this story from arizona Yeah, especially with weed and uh, edibles becoming legal in more and more states. And with that, we're we're getting more and more brands of these edibles that have stronger appearances that are similar to like other actual candies. Like I have seen some gummy bear edibles out there that look a lot like the non-marijuana gummy bears. I don't know, man. People who think that people just want to share drugs with everybody isn't thinking about it all at all. If I I were in a discussion with someone and trying to convince them how ridiculous this is, I would ask them if they thought a smoker would share their cigarettes or if a drinker would put their beer in a kid's trick-or-treat bag. The other thing that I was also going to mention was that even though the gummy bears themselves are remarkably similar to the normal gummy bears, the package is not. These packages are clearly labeled and any reasonable adult is going to be able to spot that difference. Kids, maybe not. Do you think maybe these kids knew what they were getting into? There's a narrow chance that, yeah, maybe they did. Because, I mean, underage drinking is totally a thing and maybe one of the parents was like, hey, kids, don't take these gummies. These are special. And the kids are like, I'm definitely taking those. Well, if the parents care that much, why not create a separate bowl? Why not... I don't know. This is speculation on my part, but there's ways to go about that. But there are some situations that are not as innocuous as that. But a lot of these cases that were investigated initially are are kind of like that. There has been a number of cases where people did put sharp metallic objects inside of candy that Joel Best did find. But in virtually all of those cases... The person that did it did it as a prank for people near them. It still wasn't something that was ever distributed amongst trick-or-treaters. So putting things in food is a prank? Like, are you talking like putting, like, laxatives in food to give to somebody? No, sharp metal objects. What the fuck? How is that a prank? These people are stupid. Oh, that, okay, yeah. Yeah. That's not disevidential. That's, that's fucking stupidity. Yes, it is. So... Yeah, they just had the wrong idea. They thought that this would be a funny prank. Nobody would get hurt. And even in the vast majority of those cases, they were right. Nobody got hurt. People detected the sharp object in the candy before anything actually happened. Usually when somebody did get hurt, they just got a little poke and maybe they bled a little and they got treated and everything was fine. Nothing really big happened. There was... Uh, nobody got hurt from this, but this last holiday, holiday, this last Halloween. Like the one that will be a week before this comes out, right? Yes. As of this recording yesterday, there were some Kit Kat packs, two of them specifically, that were found in Ohio to have been distributed and they had sewing needles lengthwise in the Kit Kat bar. They're doing it to good candy? They yes. can't just like do it to like some Werther's Original or some other garbage candy? Yeah. They're still investigating because this is still very, very fresh. But And this yes. was two Kit Kat bars? Two two packs of Kit Kats? Two packs of Kit Kats, yes. What 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 did they do to it? Uh, the, presumably they just put a sewing needle in it. The sewing needle was sticking out of the package itself, but I mean it not by a whole lot. Like I I don't know how the sewing needle got in there. The natural presumption is that somebody maliciously placed it there, but yeah, that does seem likely. We should share some sources because you showed me the picture for that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the picture was pretty So damning. that one is WTOLE.com, right? Uh, yes. And that will be titled in the show notes as Free Candy 
Oh, no, that's not right. No, no, it's right. right. It, Free candy screenings offer after tampered sweets discovered. Oh, this is the, the hospital. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of communities, in order to calm fears about people putting metallic, sharp metallic objects in candy, will offer free x-rays for candy for anyone that comes in and, and wants to just be sure. Which of these other sources have you touched on? Because you have a lot of them. I do. Uh, the bottom one, the AZ Central, was the one with the five kids that got the uh, marijuana gummies. So azcentral.com and it's labeled Kids Got THC Edibles from Students' Halloween Candy Bowl. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So from here, there are actually worse stories, unfortunately. Even though most of these stories ended up being nothing or they were kind of something, just people being really stupid, they didn't really meet any of the criteria of being malicious specifically to trick-or-treaters. And some of these stories still follow that trend. There is one exception to that, unfortunately. Uh, But when I was researching all of this, I, I did find two particular sources. So one of my sources, Psychology Today, they cover three examples of particularly bad incidents of Halloween candy misgivings. And they have different individual facets to them and things that ought to be clarified about them as well as we go. But again, we'll do that as we go. So in 1970, there was a child, uh, five years old, Kevin Tostin, who died of a severe heroin overdose after finding his uncle's heroin stash. Oh, shit. He was hitting that like it was sugar, probably because he thought it was. The specific circumstances for how he found it and how that led to an overdose is a little bit unclear. Uh, The presumption that I have is that he thought it was some kind of sugary candy and just went at it with that in mind, and it absolutely was not candy. So the family... I don't know. I wonder if heroin tastes good? Is that a thing? I wouldn't know. Uh, this, This is horrible, though. Yes. The family tried to cover up this incident, not by hiding the fact that their child had died, but they didn't want the heroin to be tracked back to the uncle. So they sprinkled the heroin on the child's trick-or-treat candy and claimed that they got the candy that way. And that's how the child experienced a heroin overdose. So they were trying to blame Halloween on the death of their family member. Yes. Blame Halloween for the death of their family member. That's So they're more concerned. Oh, God, nothing about this is good. I was going to propose that maybe one person lied to make this happen, but a group of people coordinated to cover up the death, the cause of death of a small child? That is near as I can tell, yes. The articles phrased it as the family did these actions. I have no good way to make fun of this, but I think next year for Halloween, I'm going to go as a six foot tall sealed pack of heroin. Just a big brick of powder. Good luck with that. Thank you. I have the physique for it. You're not wrong. (laughs) So another was in 1974, Ronald Clark O'Brien deliberately poisoned his son in order to collect life insurance money. Deliberately? The fuck? Yes. How do you insure a child? What the fuck? Well, I'm not entirely sure how you insure a child in the first place, but he was absolutely stupid about it. He took out an insurance policy and then against the wishes and the recommendations of the insurance company managed to pull larger and larger life insurance policies on his young son, who was eight years old at the time. So actually, I've worked at insurance companies that will insure children. The thought process is when a child dies, it impacts everyone involved, the rest of the family. Yeah. So if you need to take time off to grieve, in theory, the life insurance policy would buy that time off for you. And there are costs associated with death. The price of a full-size casket and a child's casket aren't significantly different. So in theory, you would insure a child who might die of cancer or something. So that way, in the worst case, you would have an out. But yeah, it seems rife for fraud. 
And this yeah. guy got a huge insurance policy on his kid? Did he only have the one? He had four children total, and he took insurance policies out on two of them. Well, that's a red flag. Were yeah. they, they weren't sick or anything that you knew about? No. So he's insuring half of his kids and not the other half. Wow, there's... Okay, I'm going to back out before I say something horrible. Okay, so we know that he ended up getting arrested on November 5th, and just five days after Halloween. His son, Timothy, did die the night of Halloween after consuming cyanide uh, that had been packed into pixie sticks and was forcibly given to the child. The child initially did not want to take the pixie sticks, but the father made that happen. None of the other children consumed pixie sticks. He did also give another poisoned pixie stick to a boy that he recognized at church in order to establish some kind of deniability because if it was only his children that were dying then okay that raises a red flag or at least that's what he figured so he attempted to poison another child of five children in total four of which were his own so it seems like the only safe way to get candy is to go door to door and ask for it politely because if you just get it from family members you're gonna get high or dead (laughs) well based on these extreme cases uh yes well there's only a hundred of them they're all kind of extreme Yeah, and the motive that was established for Ronald Clark O'Brien was he was severely, severely in debt. He was $100,000 in debt. He was losing his house. He was losing his car. He was losing his job. And that's $100,000 1970s dollars, right? Yes. So adjusted for inflation, what's that like? Uh, I think it's about half a million, roughly. Oh, damn. Oh, yeah, you did say he's losing his house and his car. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So... Yeah, quite a bit of money. And he was even talking about what he was going to do with the money, saying he's going to go on a vacation at his son's funeral. It's really a grotesque thing. We have a link to the Wikipedia article all about it if you want to read more. But that is, again, not a case of actually distributing candy to random strangers, with the exception of the one church boy, which, okay, depending on, I don't know how well acquainted he was with him, so I don't know if stranger supplies here. And it wasn't even trick-or-treating. Yeah, it definitely wasn't trick-or-treating. So that particular part of this still doesn't even apply to this heinous case the so on this it's like why would someone give out poisoned candy to trick-or-treaters anyway if you're if you're a psychopath and you want to see someone hurt you're going to hurt them where you can see them these kids are going to go home they're going to have a chance to check out the candy a chance to avoid being hurt and worst or worse for you when the kids do get hurt you can't control as you know as this horrible attacker you can't control when they'll call the police and because you've passed out poison candy to presumably multiple kids they can ask the the kids or any survivors where they went trick-or-treating and narrow it down to presumably a small group of houses and figure out where you're at none of this makes sense as a crime it doesn't satisfy the motives of people wanting to hurt other people it doesn't it leaves a huge trail of evidence it provides every opportunity for the victims to to get out and to contact authorities none of this makes sense as a crime okay so you might have wanted to, to hold that until after the next one. Oh, really this is the one and only exception to the whole trick-or-treating malice oh okay well what happened In 1959, there was a dentist named William V. Shine. He decided one Halloween that he wanted to distribute laxatives to kids. So he candy-coated a bunch of laxative pills uh, and ended up distributing 450 of them to random trick-or-treaters. All right, so he's not giving out a normal poison. He's giving out medicine. He's giving out laxatives? Yes. And that's not good. But he just wanted the town to shit itself? I guess. I don't know. 
How many people were hurt? So there are mixed reports on that, unfortunately. Uh, There's the lowest number that all the sources I found agreed upon was 16. That's horrible. How badly were they hurt? Most of them... Okay, so that one is also something that's a bit contested. One of the sources said that one of the children suffered irreparable damage. Another source said that all the children just had severe stomach pains. And then eventually got over it. But regardless, there were zero deaths. That's good. I mean, I don't know what kinds of problems you can have from laxatives, but like any medicine, I'm sure there are risks. Well, the children that had the particularly bad reactions were children who were popping like four or five of them. Yeah, if you're just eating them like candy. Yeah. And they were candy coated, so they thought they were consuming candy. Okay, what happened? Did the police catch him? Oh, yes. Very quickly. Why would a dentist, presumably a professional who went to college and, like, understands the world enough to know that the police will come after him, why did he do this? We don't know. A clear motive Nierzyk was able to read was never established for him. He ended up having to be on probation, and then he violated that probation, and so his sentences was extended. His ability to practice dentistry was suspended, I believe, for two years. Uh, Overall, he got a slap on the wrist. That is, you know, normally I don't advocate for long sentences, but most crimes don't involve someone trying to poison 400 kids. Yeah. So of all the cases that I was able to review, read about, and near as I can tell other people were able to find when doing a very long term study on these things, that was the only occasion where somebody actually did malice to random strangers. Every other thing, every other extreme example that that actually is accurate, the poisoning was someone that was close to them. Well, that's good to know that how infrequent this is. So of a hundred cases that includes any kind of Candy malfeasance. Only one, we know for certain, was directed at trick-or-treaters randomly. Yeah, and that one was, again, in 1959. So there has been a repeat of that in 62 years, near as we can tell. Wow, okay, so trick-or-treating is pretty safe. Getting random candy from your family is... Still pretty safe, but more dangerous than trick-or-treating. Yeah. (laughs) Because really, a hundred total cases of poison candy, that's that's not much. People do still recommend that parents inspect children's candy, not because they think razor blades are in it, because there just isn't... And it gives parents the chance to take some of the best candy for themselves. Yes, every single... (laughs) Everyone that said, (laughs) check your kid's candy, also mentioned, besides, this enables you to take the good stuff. But the actual <laughs> reason... Sorry, this is a dick move. It's like, you worked hard for this. I'm taking your candy. That's the parent tax. No. <laughs> uh, you're saying something else besides the parent <laughs> But the the real reason that they said that parents should inspect children's candy is so, uh, for one, like we said earlier with the edibles, some candies might be more of the adult kind of candy and children might not be able to tell the difference. There's also a chance you could get like sugar-free gummy bears, which have been known to cause diarrhea or anal leakage or check for allergies. Yeah, allergies is actually a really good point. Uh, Another person mentioned uh, simple sanitation. Like if you get a candy package that's been punctured, even if it's just innocuous, nobody did that deliberately, sometimes things are mishandled. Yeah, some dirt or mold or shit could have gotten in there. Yeah. Yeah, just for basic sanitation. So like there's good reasons to do explicit checks on the part of parents. Do individually wrapped little candies have expiration dates on them? I'm sure they do. I can't imagine what they would be. I ate about 12 million of them. I should know. Okay. 
So yeah, check your kids' candy by all means. There's good reasons to do it. Just please, if you're doing it because you're concerned that there's going to be a razor blade in it, yeah, sure, that happens in very, very specific, isolated circumstances, but don't go into it expecting that to happen. It happens. Like, it happens that people win the lottery. Yeah, and even then, the, the the study from Joel Best said explicitly that when there were metallic objects that were placed into uh, trick-or-treat candies or distributed foods, 75% of the time people detected the metal piece before any harm was done. <laughs> like, it's difficult to hide that type of thing inside these candies. And that simple piece of advice of make sure that it's name brand and sealed candy, that would totally prevent the laxative thing, wouldn't it? Yeah. Unless somebody's going through the hassle of making counterfeit M&Ms and then stuffing their laxatives into an M&M bag. And then resealing it without... That is a lot of effort. Somebody who can counterfeit stuff that good has other options, don't they? They, I would hope so, yes. Could go on and make their own candy W&Ws that have totally unrelated M&Ms. Totally. So, you had other things about Halloween? Oh, I just kind of looked into the source and where things came from on it. We mentioned earlier about Samhain. Yeah. We have mixed views from historians. Some of them say that they think that the Samhain or the the pagan influence, the Christian influence is the biggest. Some say it was purely a Christian tradition. Uh, Generally, they all agree that the word Halloween, they can trace the etymology back to definitely Christian sources where it came from other phrases and eventually turned into Halloween. And some things that are confusing is the practice of guising, souling, or trick-or-treating. They are all somewhat newer practices. There's a few places that practice it before 1900, Mm -hmm. but in North America and Western Europe, all the places that started this did so between 1900 and 1930. And there are examples of people discussing the practice in books just around that time, so we can trace the practice back to something new. So this isn't some arcane practice of the occult. This is something a large amount of Christians, mostly Christian children, decided to start doing because it seemed culturally appropriate. Yeah, I saw one thing that I didn't bother writing down because I'm a little dubious on the claim in the first place. It was kind of, you know, making my bullshit meter wiggle a little. But they claimed that the practice was initially encouraged in order to discourage other more destructive Halloween activities. That does sound like a post hoc rationalization, but it also sounds plausible. Yeah, it is plausible. That's why I mention it at all. Yeah. So yeah, I can see why the bullshit meter would wiggle there because we don't have any evidence backing that. If I wanted to keep kids out of trouble on a night where kids had reportedly gone out and made a bunch of trouble, giving them a place to, to channel their energy and activities seems like a good idea. Yeah. From this, it seems like anyone claiming to have a single source talking about where the origin of Halloween was is probably oversimplifying to the point where I would call it bullshit. There's a lot of these stories that have a a hint of truth. Like a lot of places will go back to Gaelic or Celtic sources and say, here's where it came from. And there's definitely something that we picked up from those cultures because these festivals that aren't the main celebration for a religion, they get mixed and molded and adapted culturally. Yeah, we are a melting pot here in the United States. We almost certainly have had Halloween get influenced by a number of different sources. Yeah, and uh, I have a small list of places where we have early documented incidents of trick-or-treating, guising, or souling. It's called these different terms in different places, but it's all kids getting dressed up and demanding candy. The earliest was in Scotland in 1895. But then England, Ontario, and the Philippines, uh, and in the United States, both in Massachusetts and Chicago, we have really good examples and documentation of it happening between 1895 and 1930. And the common thing between all of these places is they're all English-speaking and predominantly Christian. This isn't something that sprung up from, you know, some place with some other weird religion. This is definitely 
I don't want to say homegrown, but it's grown in all the familiar cultures that Americans were all already used to. I don't know. I didn't have anything deep and insightful after your incredible report on candy. Yeah. All I have is pithy nonsense. Like uh, in 2018, Americans spent $480 million on costumes for their pets. Okay. My source for that is MarketWatch. Of course. And it looks like they even have provided a list of which costumes were popular. (sighs) The most popular costumes for pets are the pumpkin, followed by the hot dog and the bumblebee in third place. (laughs) I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that thought they were being super witty by getting the hot dog costume for their dog. I do believe they most often go on dachshunds. Of course they do. A wiener costume for your wiener dog. Yep. I hate it. Go to abkcustoms.com to buy a custom new computer or contact them for support on your computer you inadvertently suplexed. Could you say it more deadpan, please? No. (laughs) So we covered some details about Halloween, a few myths, and a bit of history. But Halloween is not the only holiday that we're thinking about covering this go. I suppose the other major fall holiday is Thanksgiving. Yes. That is a pretty significant one. So it turns out turkeys aren't real. They're drones. Oh, go on. Oh, wait, that's a myth we covered earlier. The birds are drones thing is a myth. Yeah, that's um, a pretty readily testable one. Yeah, that would be a tasty drone, wouldn't it? Yeah. I-, I would imagine somebody out there would be like cutting into a turkey and be like, oh, wow, what is all of this here? And, you know, we just that doesn't happen. Mmm, <laughs> this motor is so delicious. Mm, it's juicy stick. from all the oil. <laughs> Uh, So I sort of saw, looking into this, three sort of categories of myth. There's a whole bunch of just common misunderstandings because we don't teach very good history here in the U.S. No, we really don't. There's a lot of people trying to claim that Thanksgiving is a Christian holiday, and then there's the ever-persistent view that pilgrims are were persecuted. I mostly understand why people would think that Thanksgiving is maybe a Christian holiday, largely because of its proximity and, and a lot of, I don't want to say tie-ins, but kind of, it's lumped together with Christmas a bit, because like it's not really given a whole lot of distinct advertising, I guess, between it and Christmas, and a lot of people that take Thanksgiving seriously as as far as like making sure people get together and do the family thing. They do the same thing with Christmas. Maybe it's just, you know, family values, but kind of understand a little bit of that tie-in. But anyone who has been taught even the basics of the origins of Thanksgiving should know that it's not exactly, it doesn't have, well, okay, no. I was going to say, it doesn't have strong religious uh, origins, although actually that's not entirely true, but it's not in the context that we're thinking of it here. Yeah, you were stepping right onto a thing that I was going to bring up. Yeah. The pilgrims who had the first Thanksgiving, and that might not be true. There were, I read some claims, a couple different people claiming the first Thanksgiving was actually somewhere else. But when we're thinking about it, the pilgrims that landed in Massachusetts, them having the first Thanksgiving, it wasn't a religious thing. Yeah, sure, they were all religious people, but... They didn't do it in the name of God or because of Jesus. They were just like, here's a big meal. So there's no way where it's a religious holiday. And even when it became an official national holiday, and I read exactly when George Washington declared that. Let me see. My source for that was Christianity.com of all the places. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, they made a point to say, yeah, George Washington was a deist. And Christianity.com says that it's not a, a religious holiday. It was a national holiday to celebrate the initial people founding European-style colonies here in the Americas, not dying to not dying to winter, not dying to a failed harvest. Yeah, I could see why people would want to celebrate something like that. Yeah, especially after uh, rough times. I don't have very hard numbers, 
but the first batch of pilgrim settlers, something on the order of one half to one third of them, died either on the boat getting here or after arriving in two disease and conflict with the natives. Rough. So if you're in a group where half of you died, celebrating with just a big meal seems reasonable. Yeah. And I would even argue it would be hard to be thanking God for the opportunity to you know, be on the right side of that coin flip. But it's really easy if you're, let's say, a Christian nationalist to just say, oh yeah, Christians did it. This is a Christian country. The founders were all Christian, just ignoring reality. We don't know anybody like that, do we? Uh, clearly, Christianity won. So, yeah, all the people worth mentioning must be Christians or something. Uh, uh, okay, let's dig into <laughs> this nonsense without bringing fresh nonsense into it. Sure. Okay, so let's dive first into the category of just the collected mishmash of myths. Yep. So uh, I got three sources. The Smithsonian, and as ashamed as I am, I found some things that people might call listicles to cite. The History News Network has a collection of myths and some debunking. Bustle.com has a collection of some myths and some debunking. And all of these corroborated nice and neat with a very in-depth interview from Smithsonian Magazine, where the correspondent, Clara Bugos, interviewed David J. Silverman about his new book, his new book from two years ago, uh, The Land is Theirs. So somebody who specifically researched this, knew a lot about this, wrote about it, and all three of these sources pretty well corroborated. So I think this is the accurate accounting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So these were addressing certain preconceived notions that people seem to have. It seems that a lot of people confuse the Puritans with the Pilgrims, two separate groups. That's weird. I've never met anyone holding that view that they're the same group, but there were people arriving in the Americas pre-Pilgrims, post-Christopher Columbus. These were just one more group that happened to be slightly more successful than the others when everything was done. Uh... There's a commonly held view that this was a big deal, that this first Thanksgiving was a big event, that they were going to start celebrating it annually, but that just doesn't appear to be the case. They were like, we barely survived this first year. Let's eat. And then the next year, they kind of decided to do it again, and then slowly it turned into a thing. So we do know when this holiday emerged. Between 1620 and 1623, they started doing this on an annual basis, and it just continued. Something else that wasn't commonly known was turkey wasn't the main course then. That started in the late 1900s or early 20th century, and actually a big marketing push pushed it from a thing a lot of families did to being a nationwide thing. That was also interesting. Was there any specific food that was consumed as a part of the feast? Uh, I don't know that there was a central course like that that was customary. Hmm. I, mean, I do know that like when the initial Europeans got here, there was some species of bird that is now extinct that existed in the Americas. I don't think we ate passenger pigeons, if that's what you're getting to. No, no, it was a big bird. Not like quite ostrich big, but big. Oh, damn. No, carrier pigeons were bigger than modern pigeons, but they were like a couple pounds, not fucking dodo sized or anything. Yeah, it was roughly dodo sized. I can't remember what it was called. Turkey? No, no, it went extinct, like, not too long after like uh, that Europeans got firmly. Settled. I don't even know, man. Uh, I'll, I'll look it up while you continue. Wait, are you talking about the, uh, there was a, uh, an auk, the North American auk? Because there were, like, three auks. Okay. I'll look. Yeah, yeah, but you're typing. Yeah, one of my sources on the topic of food, it does say that we know for sure that they didn't have corn on the cob, apples, pears, potatoes, or even cranberries for the first few Thanksgivings. But we do know for a fact they had deer, but no forks. Hmm. Deer makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <sighs> so did you find that bird? I thought I did, but no. No, this bird went extinct too early. Yeah, there's a lot of birds that could have been there for that. Okay, so now starting to touch uh, on things that some people will consider political for not great reasons. <sighs> the native group closest to where the pilgrims landed, the Wampanoag. 
the Wampanoag were led by a person named Usamakan. I'm sure I'm butchering that. It could be Wiesemakin. But this person advocated for peaceful resolution of disputes between them because in the years leading up to the Pilgrim's Landing, there was some pandemic that had killed many of the people right on the water. So there was just a big open place where the Pilgrims landed. If this hadn't been the case, like many of the other people who'd landed before, there likely would have been violence and the Pilgrims would have been driven off because they weren't exactly huge in numbers. But the native peoples had, uh disagreements with each other. And that was their main point of conflict, because they just kind of presumed that they wouldn't be invaded wholesale. That was outside of their, their context, an outside invader taking them all over. So they didn't even view it as an, a, a natives versus European type issue. It was just like, oh, here's one more group we have to deal with. So any picture we have of the original pilgrims eating and sitting in harmony with the natives is almost certainly just bullshit. At most, there would have been Wampanoag and his close diplomatic party would have been eating with them you know, to try to build a rapport, but it certainly would have been a would not have been a mixing of cultures as is sometimes depicted. Now this one isn't directly Thanksgiving related, but it's often described that Europeans traded trinkets or beads or greatly underpaid for land. But all of the documentation and all of the information we have pointing to how the native cultures behaved and operated, they did have an understanding of property, did know how incredibly valuable land was. But when the pilgrims came to buy into it, they didn't think they were buying a chunk of land. They thought they were buying in to use the land and its resources so they could cohabitate. The goal was eventually peaceful integration. And then they just kind of took it and kept it. Uh, and as they made a treaty with Wampanoag, uh, with the Wampanoag people through Usamakan, they kept overstepping the bounds because they had already been exposed to all the diseases. They'd brought smallpox with them. So a diseased ravaged people, they're fighting against a force of technologically superior people who also brought smallpox. So, you're, you know, the natives were dying in large numbers. They had political strife between each other because there were other native groups to the north and the south and further west, pretty much every direction except east because that's the Atlantic Ocean. So you're surrounded by political, I don't want to say enemies, but other political forces that you have to contend with. At the same time, you're dealing with a disease that has a death rate between 10 and 30 percent, depending on which population you are. And they've got guns and you don't. So they were just at a massive political loss and periodically pilgrims took chunks of land or they would raid food stores or uh, places that the natives, the natives stored resources or supplies. And then when winter came, they asked them for help and not knowing the exact culprit behind the raids, sometimes the Wampanoag would help. You know, it would be a begrudging like, yeah, here's the thing you can do so that way when you survive in spring, hopefully you'll treat us better. And then they didn't. Ugh. Yeah, it sounds like uh, early colonials were huge jerks, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. I don't, even, I don't even have anything funny to say here about this, because it's just slow conquest by force of economics. It's not like they even showed up with a good plan. A lot of those seem like the just a broad grouping of misunderstandings, that it was fundamentally religious that Puritans and Pilgrims were the same people, that this was a, they were planning it to be a holiday, that there were more agreements and more harmony between the natives and the uh, incoming European pilgrims, and uh, the notion that the natives didn't understand the value of land or didn't have a concept of property. All of those are myths. Yeah, obvious bullshit. And actually, there's one segment I wanted to read from this article. Go for it. This is to highlight using the word Indian, which is problematic, but to highlight the difference between the Pilgrims' view of the natives versus the Wampanoag's view. So the, quoting the Smithsonian Magazine article, The politics of Indian country are more important to native people than their differences with colonists. There were no Indians when the English arrived. Native people didn't conceive themselves as Indians. 
That's an identity that they have had to learn through their shared struggle with colleagues, and it takes a long time. They have been here for 12,000 plus years, and there are a lot of differences between them. Their focus is on their own people, not on shared interests of Indians, and very often, what's in the best interest of their own people is cutting deals with colonial powers with an eye towards combating their native rivals. So, seeing this, the incoming pilgrims knew that it was a pilgrims ver- uh, uh, and all of the natives which this excerpt called indians mm-hmm. it was all of the natives versus the european colonialists and the pilgrims acted appropriately here playing different groups off of each other so if there was ever an opportunity for the pilgrims to gain by pitting two former rivals against each other they would do it and they did it early and often this is squeaky listening to this section again in editing and I could have been much more clear when I described the pilgrim's behavior as appropriate. I only mean it in the strictest game theory sense. Their behavior was reprehensible and not to be emulated by any right-thinking or ethical people. If one is interested in conquest, dividing one's enemy and behaving reprehensibly and killing them is often an effective way to make conquest real. Blah. So having a nuanced view of politics kind of plays into the third category of myth that we were discussing. There's constant discussion that the pilgrims were persecuted. But other than England officially declaring the state religion being Anglican, I couldn't find any examples of them actually being persecuted. There were apparently threats of people being arrested, but I can't even find evidence of that. I might if I dug much longer. But I found some other evidence. These people all just left England, and they went to Holland, where, well, first, they were able to just hop across the English Channel en masse, so they weren't exactly poor. But then reading about their times in Holland, these people were former nobles, landed gentry, and they didn't take well to being tradesmen and businessmen actually having to work for their pay. Well, they just had enough money to hire ships and just up and leave? Doesn't sound like someone who's persecuted. No. And then when we read what they wrote when they were there, I'm going to use some modern terms here, but they didn't seem to like how liberal the place was. In one article, again from (laughs) Christianity.com, sorry I keep going there, it seems like uh, maybe they've been infiltrated with atheist trolls trying to undermine the very notion of Christianity. (laughs) I doubt it, but maybe. Uh, They do accept pieces from people submitting them. One pilgrim, William Bradford, wrote about the great licentiousness of youth in Holland. And he lamented the evil examples and manifold temptations of the place. So they had brothels. Uh, they had I don't know, things that in general weren't in line with what the pilgrims thought was appropriate, like freedom of religion, for example. They could be things not this extreme, because what pilgrims were religious extremists, right? Yeah. So you could be something else, and you didn't have to line up with their ethos, and the pilgrims didn't like that. So this wild liberalism there in Holland was enough to make them uncomfortable, but then it looked like there was going to be war with Spain, and they all noped out to dodge the draft. They hired two boats to cross the ocean. One of the boats flaked out on them, so they all hopped on the one boat, the Mayflower, and they went across the Atlantic. But at this point, they could still hire boats? That's a ton of money to have, to just have enough money to cross cross major bodies of water twice as a population. And they dodge the draft as an entire population. That's not actions of a persecuted people. Yeah, no. I mean, unless you want to try to make the claim that, oh, you're going to draft me. That makes me persecuted, which is 
don't do that. Don't make that claim. But yeah, they're they're not persecuted. Yeah, they showed up in a new culture, attempted to integrate, but then didn't want to do the things that that culture viewed as socially responsible. They just didn't want to participate in other people's culture. They want to be in charge. When have we ever seen that with other religious zealots? Oh, I wonder. It's like every religious group, and actually it has a lot of parallels to the Mormons going west, leaving the United States, trying to claim Utah as its own as their own country. That stopped as soon as the U.S. Army went out there and said, no, this is going to stop. But like the MAGA Trump people today make claims like this. Of the talk about Texas trying to break away? That comes up every couple years. Or if you're in California, there's a northern part of uh, California they call Jefferson. They want to break off. It's like five or six counties between. It's just in northern California, just up in the mountains, mm-hmm. just south of uh, Oregon, where they you know, they want to break off and make their own extreme right wing Christian ethno state. You know, there are places where religious zealots always seem to want to do this, and they always cite persecution. And I can't see any real persecution here. They didn't see any records of arrest or torture or even their businesses being shut down. They were allowed to go freely and pay for boats and be rich up until they got to America is where their money didn't do anything. Then they abused and robbed from the native peoples and enriched themselves. So I don't know for certain that they weren't persecuted. And lots of sources say that word, but very few sources back it up. And I'll link to some of them. Like, there are several places where the question, what religious persecution did the pilgrims flee from? And there's nothing in the answer section. And I don't mean there's bad answers. I mean, the answer section is just fucking empty. There's there's no answers. Yeah. It's all linked to one of those from answers.com. Ugh. But yeah, as far as I can tell, their perspective on persecution was our religion isn't the one in charge, therefore persecution. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, so I guess everything I've got in summary is a bunch of little myths. Thanksgiving isn't a Christian holiday. And the whole pilgrim motivation is kind of bullshit. They appear to just wanted to have set up a religious theocracy. And they did for a while. Yeah. I don't know. That's all I've got on that. I mean, the core of it, a bunch of people got in a boat and ate food. That definitely happened. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when you break things down to their absolute most basic details, glossing over any and all possible nuance, you tend to be like, oh yeah, that's kind of true. Maybe. I mean, it's, it's certainly believable. Like, you want to tell me 2,000 years ago there was a carpenter that thought about social reform. Okay, face value, that. I I can believe it. Yeah, even I would accept that one. Jeez. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, My brain is too addled by this cold to actually uh, have good jokes here. Yeah, that's fair. So we're going to do Anunnaki next week? Yeah, well, next episode. We do bi-weekly releases. You know, I'd know that if my brain weren't so fucked by COVID. Okay. Do you think I have COVID? Probably yeah, not. I probably don't. Have, it's the one thing I'm really vaccinated against. Yeah. I probably got measles, mumps, rubella, and tetanus. I'm not vaccinated for any of the... Wait, <laughs> wait. Those are exactly the things I'm vaccinated against. What's left? The normal seasonal flu. Son of a bitch. I knew I forgot something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Give me just a second. Sure. And that demon's name was Loki. He's an adorable Siamese cat. He's adorable. Yeah. But he has a little jangly bell that ruins recording. We should strip him naked next time. That's not a bad idea. Thanks to Keldar for video and graphics work, and thanks to Alpha Wolf for transcription. Thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. Our supporters at the Evidence Investigator level or higher. Jared, Duct Tape, Keldar, Lazori78, and Stephen Larrabee. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to like, subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. Copyright 2021, Blacktop Studios, Inc. Intro music was Slow by Pidex, used with permission. 
real quick. The bird I was thinking of from doing the research while you were talking, uh, I'm pretty sure I was thinking of the moa, not specific to... That's New Zealand. Exactly, exactly. But it matches every other criteria that I was remembering. But they're not as big as ostriches. They're like 10 fucking feet tall. I said they were a little bit larger than ostriches, and moas come in a variety of sizes. Oh, there's a range of sizes? Yeah. Okay, I've only seen them on magic cards. They're always like eating a knight in shining armor whole. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty big. Yeah, they have a range of sizes, but they all disappeared within a century after the New Zealand colonists landed because of, well, they were hungry. I would imagine a 10-foot turkey is good eating. Yes. Didn't the Haast's eagle also come from New Zealand? Wasn't it like the stupidly large eagle with like a 12 or 14-foot wingspan or something? Yes, it also went extinct largely because of the hunting of the moa or something like that. It went extinct because of the hunting of, maybe it wasn't the moa that it used as a food source, but no, like we I... hunted its food source. Oh, okay. Well, that's... Really interesting. The largest turkeys ever are gone because all the Maori ate them. Yeah. And they didn't even have a Thanksgiving holiday. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure that the moa is what I was thinking of, but I'm like I'm like 85, 90% sure because it, it matches everything except the geography that I was thinking of. And this was somewhat recently, right? The New Zealanders didn't land there until, well, like 13, 14, 1500? Something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they settled in 1300 and it was about 100 years after settling. So moa went extinct roughly 1400. How recently a bunch of these gigantic animals, these megafauna, were around? Because, like, didn't the last group of woolly mammoths go extinct, like, a thousand years ago in the northern... It was, like, some in, like, a northern Siberian island? Something like that. Yeah, I don't know. That's not this episode. We're not eating these things for Christmas or Halloween. Oh, trick or treat, here's one tiny woolly mammoth. Put it in your bag. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it says by 1445, all moa had become extinct, along with the Hast's eagle, which had relied on them for food. So, okay, so I was thinking of that correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hast's eagle is absolutely enormous. I mean, it could eat people for food. Yeah. Uh, there were claims that hunters were hunting moas as recently as the 1770s, but... I mean, it doesn't have to be there for you to hunt it. Just ask any snipe hunter. Damn. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they, they those claims were not substantiated, so. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. 